Ow, James Hetfield Metallica. I think they, they started in Los Angeles officially. I go over this every once in a while. Lars Aldrich put in an advertisement in uh, some paper, and uh, Hetfield was the first to respond, and the guy named Dave Mustaine, I believe, is number three. Not sure. Uh, and then at some point in their career, they moved up to San Francisco. That's where uh, that's where I'm from, California. Uh, you, you've tuned in to Winwood Radio. And I'm your host for the weekly show, Discussions of Truth. Ian Trottier, that's my name. IanTrottier.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. I urge you. To buy, to purchase my newest book, my current book. It's a quick read, 100 pages, double-spaced. Freedom Reserved. Whew, that speaks. That speaks volumes, really, right there. That's good enough for the title, just that in itself. Freedom Reserved. That would be you and me. No More Lies. That's the complete title to the book, Freedom Reserved, No More Lies. Last week, we hosted Daniel Estulin. You probably have never heard his name before, yet he is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. And he happens to have won two years in a row, 2015-2016, Mexico's highest award for a journalist. He's a former Russian intelligence officer. And he resides in Spain. And by the way, he was for almost a week, he was uh, on Spain's top spot for best-selling author. That's number one. He has sold millions of copies of his book. Yet, 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 they are banned in England. Now, that's my mother country. I say that literally. That my mother was born in England. Okay, I'm not a British citizen. I'm fully American, fully proud of being an American. Yet I do have many family members that are indeed British. My middle name is Hamilton. That's from my Scottish grandfather. His books are banned in England. And no major publisher will pick him up. No major publisher will pick him up in the U.S. Except for a small little clearinghouse in Oregon. Trine Day. And that is number four. That is the fourth week in a row that I have mentioned that name. Trine Day. There are very important little publishing house. And here's another Oregon connection. Here's another interesting connection. I happen to have spent four years of my life in that state. So if you're the top-selling author for almost a year in Spain, you've won Mexico's highest journalism award. You're not even a Spanish speaker natively. You're a Russian. Yet you're banned in England, and you can't even get picked up by a major clearinghouse or publishing house, rather, in, in the United States, the land of the free, home of the brave, cornerstone freedom of speech, freedom of press. 
there's a problem with that, as far as I'm concerned. There is a problem with that. So that's why I was very pleased and very happy that Daniel joined Winwood Radio last week. And I urge you to check out that episode. Prior to Daniel, we hosted Cynthia McKinney. If you haven't heard her name, you now have. She was the first black female elected to represent the state of Georgia in the U.S. House of Representatives. She served six terms as congresswoman. She joined us prior to Daniel. All of my episodes are on my website. That's iantrotier.com, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. All of the episodes, 70-plus counting. I've been at this for over a year and a half, coming up on the two-year mark. And if you look at the guest list that this program has been very fortunate enough to host... I would venture to say that you will be impressed because I certainly am. And we went down the 9-11 road with Richard Gage prior to Cynthia McKinney. Why? Because we can. Because we're Americans. And we can. This, isn't, this show is not about being a Democrat. It's not about being a Republican. This show isn't about picking sides. This show is about human rights, inalienable rights, represented through the most perfect document, governmental document, in my opinion, that's ever been drafted, and that is the U.S. Constitution. And Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, a member of Reagan's economy team, said plainly on this show, Ian, we no longer have, you no longer have, Americans no longer have, constitutional rights that coming from a former Stanford Hoover fellow by the way Anthony Sutton and Paul Kirk Roberts an Oxford Oxford fellow yeah here we go again the UK we have any speaking their language don't we next week We'll go down the Hollywood Trail, and we'll be hosting a very interesting researcher in Southern California, Jay Dyer. We'll dive into his book, An Esoteric Hollywood. Why? Because Harvey Weinstein, pedophilia, disgusting. Absolutely disgusting, if you ask me. It's Hollywood brainwashing the American public. With a current U.S. president fresh off a hit reality television series. Yeah, the guy leading your country, our country. Yeah, he just so happened to be a reality television host. Nothing wrong with that. But that's just kind of does that speak to where your the level of politics are? If you've got if you've got such great think tanks, nothing against Donald. Really, nothing. I'm sure he's brilliant. He seems to be brilliant. But we know the kind of people that are lurking around the woods, the Hollywoods, don't we? 
by the way, that name, uh, uh, Hollywood, uh, I don't think it is, 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 is a holly, the holly tree even native anywhere in Southern California? Because I don't think it is, not in, not in uh, Hollywood. So where does that name come from? Twice elected president of the Screen Actors Guild. That would be Ronald Reagan. How much does Hollywood influence media, mass media, mainstream media, our day and our life? It is apparent since the 1980s that it has the ability to ripple waves throughout national politics. So, is Hollywood brainwashing you and your children? And is there anything to an esoteric side of Hollywood? Don't know. But we will be hosting Jay Dyer next week to see what he's come up with. We will close out August by hosting author of The Dereliction of Duty. And that actually is a legal phrase for someone who has uh, broken a military law. That's the title of his book. That is Lieutenant Colonel Robert Buzz Peter Patterson, United States Air Force retired, former military combat pilot, distinguished White House military aide, and best-selling author of Dereliction of Duty, leadership consultant, popular public speaker, and former commercial airline pilot. Man's done a lot with his life. Among Patterson's literary efforts include a New York Times best-selling dereliction of duty and another one reckless disregard he happens to know bill clinton very well and he'll talk about how bill clinton basically almost fumbled what's called the nuclear football so that's where we'll be going to close out august dereliction of duty is a specific offense under the united states title 10 section 892 article 92 and applies to all branches of the U.S. military. Midway through September, we'll host former JAG lawyer. Sam Faddis. So, quite a slate here for you. And I appreciate you listening to me. If you haven't had a chance... To check out Charlotte Eisenbett, if you're unfamiliar with who she is, she's the former senior advisor for the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan. She was opposed to a program called BEST, Betterment Education, through Science and Technology. She opposed that program, and she was relieved of her duties under Reagan because of her opposition to that. She felt, amongst many other things, that... School was taking too much away, power in regards to power, from how a parent might want their child educated. If you have a parent, you have to ask yourself, you've delivered that child to the world. Who's got the right to educate the child? Does the child have the right to educate themselves once they grow and become an adult certainly they do but until they've reached that age who should have a say I mean what's the use of a PAT then 
lots of good questions. And that brings up guest for today. We've been, and I say we, because we all pay taxes if you're in the United States as Americans. We've been in Afghanistan fighting a war for going on two decades now. It's been 17 years. Gretchen Peters has spent a large portion of her career dissecting the war in Afghanistan and the associated heroin trade wherein she's a graduate of Harvard University and the University of Denver MBA. We'll be hearing from Gretchen in a few moments. Excellent, meticulously researched, Sunday Times of London, a vitally important book. Peters has done a superlative job with Seeds of Terror. Jack Lawn, DEA chief under Reagan and Bush. And stunning. Former New York Times bestselling author, Taliban and Descent into Chaos, Ahmed Rashid. And Barron's has this to say about Seeds of Terror. It offers layer after layer of fascinating information about the deadly consequences of decades of disastrous policy decision. This is a well-written, well-documented, and exemplary work of journalism. And I'm going to repeat that word there. Disastrous policy decisions. Peters has been on NPR, The Daily Show. She formerly worked for American Broadcasting Company, ABC. And her work has appeared on Time Magazine's website. When I come back, she'll be joining Winwood Radio and Discussions of Truth with Ian Trottier. I am he, and I thank you for tuning in. And I'll be right back with Gretchen.
Winwood Radio, we have today with us on air, Gretchen Peters. She's appeared on The Daily Show, NPR's Fresh Air. Uh, she's been with Renee Mon- Montaigne at NPR and Time Magazine's website. Gretchen is considered uh, basically a forefront of knowledge with what's going on in Afghanistan. We welcome you to Discussions of Truth. Gretchen, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having Gretchen. Um, tell us about uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, and and really what got you involved in researching uh, the opium trade and what's going on in the networks uh, of Afghanistan. Um, well, I worked for many many years as a journalist, and I covered Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, over the course of 11 years, I spent about six years living there and many other years traveling back and forth. And I um, became uh, passionately convinced that, that the war in Afghanistan was not a war about Islam, uh, it, but, about, but a cover for um, um, one of the largest drug trafficking operations in the world. 
Gretchen, are you familiar yeah. with uh, Alfred McCoy? Yes. Okay. Okay, in politics. Yes, uh, the politics of um, hero, uh, heroin in Southeast Asia, I think it is, and he, he's, 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 he's joined us, he's been on the program, and, and uh, as you may know, the CIA basically was asking him to hand over his manuscripts as he was working on his PhD at Yale, and he refused, and he took, the, he took whoever was uh, uh, requesting the manuscript to court, he won, and now that write-up, I think it was 1972, is considered uh, kind of a, uh, a gold standard. Standard for understanding. Did did, did the, the opium trade? Did that help you at all as you began dissecting what what's going on here in Afghanistan? Uh, well, naturally, I read the McCoy book and almost any other book I could get my hands on uh, about the global heroin trade, and um, certainly, and and I also read a lot of uh, reporting about essentially the in- intersection of drugs and conflict. Um, and so, you know, from Colombia to Laos to Afghanistan, uh, the drug trade has intersected with, you know, major wars in the last, uh, um, in the last century. And it's, it's, but there's, um, that issue was getting very, very little attention at the time that my book came out. This was back in 2009. It was getting very little attention, uh, in the United States. Right. And what what was it that kind of uh, made you question that that the whole narrative on terror not being an accurate depiction to the American public? Well, what I was seeing on the ground. I mean, I was I was living there, and um, unlike uh, a, f- a fair amount of journalists who came in and covered the the conflict, because it, because Afghanistan is a difficult place to move around. Um, a fair number of the reporters that work there, certainly not everybody, but a fair number of them uh, will embed with the U.S. military and travel inside uh, the sort of U.S. military bubble. And so they don't get out and, they, well, they see the story the military wants them to see and they, they don't get out and talk to Afghans. Uh, they don't get out and uh, get out in the countryside and talk to farmers. And there was just this, um, back in... I don't know, 2002, 2003, 2004, right, you know, really right after the uh, troops had arrived, there was this, in those, those first few years, there was just an exploding amount of poppy being grown. And as we, as I spoke to sources across the South, they said, well, the Taliban is controlling this. Uh, not all of it. Let's be clear that there were powerful officials in the Afghan government, including then President Hamid Karzai's own brother, uh, who are also involved in the drug trade, but but um, my focus was to was on the insurgency and the degree to which uh, the insert insurgency came back and became the force and the threat that it continues to be today on the backs of the heroin trade, financed by the heroin trade. So you were in Afghanistan um, on the ground with ABC, working with ABC to report what was going on. Is that it was is that is that accurate? Yes. Yes, I was I was a reporter for ABC News. And w- what you began to investigate wasn't really the picture that was uh, being painted uh, through ABC. Is that right? Well, I struggled to get my editors at ABC to uh, focus on the issue. They did. They uh, for it took me several years to get a story about the drug trade um, on ABC News. Um, uh, and 
I had pushback from the editors who said, you know, they were speaking to their sources in Washington and nobody thought that this was accurate. And, um, and so, yeah, there was a certain amount of resistance to the story. After my book came out, it became generally accepted and it's now generally accepted that the Taliban is, uh, predominantly funded by uh, the drug trade and is and many many people in the government will you know will now admit that it is it's basically a drug trafficking organization as opposed to a jihadi movement that actually cares about uh, you know right-wing islam or or any kind of political ideals they're just out to make money but at the time that was a very controversial perspective so who were the sources, as, as you would kind of uh, knock back and, 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 and go to your uh, superiors there uh, back in, 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 at ABC, and they were saying, hey, you know, these sor- the, 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 this isn't jiving with the information we're getting from the people in, in D.C.? Who, who, were they? who were those sources? I, I presume it was high-level sources and high-level officials in the, in the Bush. This was the, in the Bush years. And I, so I assume it was um, – officials in that administration and I myself was told by officials who were at the at the embassy uh, at the time that they were aware that the drug trade was um, getting larger and more and more powerful but as one of them put it to me and this was I don't think the ambassador at the time but the deputy ambassador said we don't want this to become a drug war that would be that's always a public public relations nightmare and that actually made me laugh out loud I mean you you don't get to choose I called it Peter Pan foreign policy. You don't get to choose what kind of war you're fighting. Um, <laughs> if your enemy's if your enemy's funding himself through drugs, you're in a drug war. And so, whether you like it or not, and so um, uh, there really was an effort to kind of suppress that aspect. I do believe there was a, 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 a an effort. Well, I know there was an effort to suppress that information um, under that. Uh, administration because I had people within the administration and within the embassy leaking me information and saying you're right you're on the right track this is a cover up. Uh-huh. So, and and and, and are, are you saying that the Bush administration was painting a picture that wasn't accurate? They, they, again, we're, we're we were we were the Americans were told to go with the terror narrative and not so much the drug narrative. Is that correct? Right. I, and I think it was somewhat similar to the uh, false narrative that was fed to the American public around the, in the lead up to the Iraq war. Uh, there was, there wasn't intelligence indicating that Saddam Hussein had nuclear weapons, but they wanted to have a war in, Af- in a, they wanted to invade Iraq and they were going to come up with a reason to do so. Uh, in Afghanistan, um, they didn't want it to turn into a drug war because that wouldn't have played well. And Americans, um, I, 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 to be honest, I don't know what, I don't know why they, why that reality um, didn't appeal to them other than the fact that it seemed to be a public relations nightmare for them. But but I'm not somebody who believes in ignoring the reality. Uh, but I think that, that, I think what we saw with that administration was repeated efforts to try and shape um, the public narrative about what was going on in a place as a matter of foreign policy as opposed to actually describing the, the reality on the ground. Gretchen, I want... What point in time did the Al McCoy book enter into your research? Oh, probably around two thousand five, two thousand six, when I was when I was um, 
researching and writing the book. It did, the book, my book, wasn't published till two thousand and nine, but I spent many several years researching it. Five years researching it and interviewing people for it. So you 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 were you were told to go. ABC was telling you to go go hit the ground and, and do your reporting, and this is the narrative. And then as you're you're working the ground, you're like, no, wait a second, I, this is not accurate. And then then you're getting a couple different sources that are saying you're on the right trail. Even not a cup. Not a couple different sources, dozens. I mean, I had sources down in the, I mean, all you had to do, first of all, was fly down to, to Helmand and Kandahar. Uh, there was, poppy, poppy fields were carpeting the countryside. The Taliban was getting more and more powerful. Th- those two, those two situations were not a coincidence. They weren't, they were, they were completely correlated. Um, and, um, I would speak to military commanders in Kabul, in the capital Kabul, um, who would say that they didn't have any intelligence suggesting that the Taliban was getting was profiting from the drug trade. And I would say, General, have you been down to your uh, landing zones or your, your fobs down in Kandahar recently? Because you've got poppy growing up to your freaking wire, man. Like, I, how do you not see this? And... Um, so later on, I managed to stumble upon uh, a number of people uh, in that circle that uh, that revealed to me that there was a huge, of course, a huge amount of t- the same the same the same information that was flooding into me through my sources was flooding into a U.S. intelligence that this was going on, and they just d- decided um, to ignore it. So, so the so the obvious question is why. Why was it ignored? I believe it, it, there was a number of reasons. Uh, the The U.S. war on drugs has been um, has been very unpopular. Had they started taking taking on, uh, and so they were concerned about um, public continued public support for uh, a war that wasn't going very well. And remember, this was at the time when the Iraq War was also uh, kind of a disaster. And so they didn't need another public relations nightmare. I think that's one issue. Secondly, um, the U.S. had installed President Hamid Karzai uh, and a number, and he, uh, his family members and a number of people um, around him were up to their necks in the drug trade as well. So getting involved in the drug issue was going to uh, reveal the fact that our allies were in in Afghanistan, kind of much much like the situation in Vietnam and Laos. Mm-hmm. Our allies were just as deeply involved in the narcotics trade as the enemies were. Um, it's you know Afghanistan only produces two products, opium and carpets. So yeah. if you're going to make a living there, it's <laughs> you're. It, 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 you know, it represents a it represents an enormous percentage of GDP, and the and the other largest. Sector within GDP is foreign aid. You know the country virtually has no manufacturing sector and 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 no real industry. Very interesting. Okay, so now you you start you start pounding this and, and you start investigating investigating and, and and it becomes clear to you and you've got legitimate sources and so. I mean, this is incomplete. You're you're kind of are, are you are you looked at as being kind of a renegade because this is this is opposite what the Bush administration is is telling the American public, and then you're coming in and you're saying I've got reliable sources that say that this is a dr- war on drugs. How were you treated by some of your peers? Uh, 